Chapter the thirty eighth of Poor Miss Finch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Poor Miss Finch by Wilkie Collins. Chapter the thirty eighth. Is there no excuse for him? Oscar's dismissed servant left during the usual month of warning to take care of the house, opened the door to me when I knocked. Although the hour was a late one in primitive dim church, the man showed no signs of surprise at seeing me. Is Mr. Nugent de Borg at home? Yes, ma'am. He lowered his voice and added, I think Mr. Nugent expected to see you tonight. Whether he intended it or not, the servant had done me a good turn. He had put me on my guard. Nugent de Borg understood my character better than I had understood his. He had foreseen what would happen when I heard of Lucilla's visit on my return to the rectory, and he had, no doubt, prepared himself accordingly. I was conscious of a certain nervous trembling, I own, as I followed the servant to the sitting-room. At the moment, however, when he opened the door, this ignoble sensation left me as suddenly as it had come. I felt myself Pratolungo's widow again when I entered the room. A reading-lamp with its shade down was the only light on the table. Nugent de Borg, comfortably reposing in an easy-chair, sat by the lamp with a cigar in his mouth and a book in his hand. He put down the book on the table as he rose to receive me. Knowing by this time what sort of man I had to deal with, I was determined not to let even the merest of trifles escape me. It might have its use in helping me to understand him if I knew how he had been occupying his mind while he was expecting me to arrive. I looked at the book. It was Rousseau's Confessions. He advanced with his pleasant smile and offered his hand as if nothing had happened to disturb our ordinary relations towards each other. I drew back a step and looked at him. "'Won't you shake hands with me?' he asked. "'I will answer that directly,' I said. "'Where is your brother?' "'I don't know.' "'When you do know, Mr. Nugent de Borg, and when you have brought your brother back to this house, I will take your hand, not before. He bowed resignedly, with a little satirical shrug of the shoulders, and asked if he might offer me a chair. I took a chair for myself, and placed it so that I might be opposite to him when he resumed his seat. He checked himself in the act of sitting down, and looked towards the open window. "'Shall I throw away my cigar?' he said. "'Not on my account. I have no objection to smoking.' "'Thank you.' He took his chair, keeping his face in the partial obscurity cast by the shade of the lamp. After smoking for a moment, he spoke again, without turning to look at me. May I ask what your object is in honouring me with this visit? I have two objects. The first is to see that you leave Dimchurch tomorrow morning. 
the second is to make you restore your brother to his proposed wife he looked round at me quickly his experience of my irritable temper had not prepared him for the perfect composure of voice and manner with which i answered his question he looked back again from me to his cigarette and knocked off the ash at the tip of it considering with himself before he addressed his next words to me we will come to the question of my leaving dimchurch presently he said have you received a letter from oscar yes have you read it i have read it then you know that we understand each other i know that your brother has sacrificed himself and that you have taken a base advantage of the sacrifice he stared and looked round at me once more i saw that something in my language or in my tone of speaking had stung him you have your privilege as a lady he said don't push it too far what oscar has done he has done of his own free will what oscar has done i rejoined is lamentably foolish cruelly wrong still perverted as it is there is something generous something noble in that motive which has led him as for your conduct in this matter i see nothing but what is mean nothing but what is cowardly in the motive which has led you he started to his feet he flung his cigar into the empty fireplace madame pratolungo he said i have not the honour of knowing anything of your family i can't call a woman to account for insulting me do you happen to have any man related to you in or out of england i happen to have what will do equally well on this occasion i replied i have a hearty contempt for threats of all sorts and a steady resolution in me to say what i think he walked to the door and opened it i decline to give you the opportunity of saying anything more he rejoined i beg to leave you in possession of the room and to wish you good evening he opened the door i had entered the house armed in my own mind with a last desperate resolve only to be communicated to him or to anybody in the final emergency and at the eleventh hour the time had come for saying what i had hoped with my whole heart to be left unsaid i rose on my side and stopped him as he was leaving the room return to your chair and your book i said our interview is at an end in leaving the house i have one last word to say you are wasting your time in remaining at dimchurch i am the best judge of that he answered making way for me to go out pardon me you are not in any position to judge at all you don't know what i mean to do as soon as i get back to the rectory he instantly changed his position placing himself in the doorway so as to prevent me from leaving the room what do you mean to do he asked keeping his eyes attentively fixed on mine i mean to force you to leave dimchurch he laughed insolently i went on as quietly as before 
"'You have personated your brother to Lucilla this morning,' I said. "'You have done that, Mr. Nugent de Borg, for the last time. "'Have I? "'Who will prevent me from doing it again?' "'I will.' "'This time he took it seriously. "'You?' he said. "'How are you to control me, if you please?' "'I can control you through Lucilla. "'When I get back to the rectory, I can—' and will tell lucilla the truth he started and instantly recovered himself you forget something madame pretolungo you forget what the surgeon in attendance on her has told us i remember it perfectly if we say or do anything to agitate his patient in her present state the surgeon refuses to answer for the consequences well well between the alternative of leaving you free to break both their hearts and the alternative of setting the surgeon's warning at defiance dreadful as the choice is my choice is made i tell you to your face i would rather see lucilla blind again than see her your wife his estimate of the strength of his position on his side had been necessarily based on one conviction the conviction that gosse's professional authority would tie my tongue i had scattered his calculations to the winds he turned so deadly pale that dim as the light was i could see the change in his face i don't believe you he said present yourself at the rectory tomorrow i answered and you will see i have no more to say to you let me by you may suppose i was only trying to frighten him i was doing nothing of the sort blame me or approve of me as you please i was expressing the resolution which i had in my mind when i spoke whether my courage would have held out through the walk from browndown to the rectory whether i should have shrunk from it when i actually found myself in Lucilla's presence is more than I can venture to decide. All I say is that I did, in my desperation, positively mean doing it at the moment when I threatened to do it, and that Nugent de Borg heard something in my voice which told him I was in earnest. You fiend! he burst out, stepping close up to me with a look of fury. The whole passionate fervour of the love that the miserable wretch felt for her shook him from head to foot as his horror of me found its way to expression in those two words spare me your opinion of my character i said i don't expect you to understand the motives of an honest woman for the last time let me by instead of letting me by he locked the door and put the key in his pocket that done he pointed to the chair that I had left. "'Sit down,' he said, with a sudden sinking in his voice, which implied a sudden change in his temper. "'Let me have a minute to myself.' I returned to my place. He took his own chair on the other side of the table, and covered his face with his hands. We waited a while in silence. I looked at him once or twice, as the minutes followed each other the shaded lamplight 
glistened dimly on something between his fingers i rose softly and stretched across the table to look closer tears on my word of honour tears forcing their way through his fingers as he held them over his face i had been on the point of speaking i sat down again in silence say what you want of me tell me what you wish me to do those were his first words he spoke them without moving his hands so quietly so sadly with such hopeless sorrow such uncomplaining resignation in his voice that i who had entered that room hating him rose again and went round to his chair i who a minute ago if i had had the strength would have struck him down on the floor at my feet laid my hand on his shoulder pitying him from the bottom of my heart that is what women are there is a specimen of their sense firmness and self-control be just nugent i said be honourable be all that i once thought you i want no more he dropped his arms on the table his head fell on them and he burst into a fit of crying it was so like his brother that i could almost have fancied i too had mistaken one of them for the other oscar over again i thought to myself on the first day when i spoke to him in this very room come i said when he was quieter we shall end in understanding each other and respecting each other after all he irritably shook my hand off his shoulder and turned his face away from the light don't talk of understanding me he said your sympathy is for oscar he is the victim he is the martyr he has all your consideration and all your pity i am a coward i am a villain i have no honour and no heart tread me under your foot like a reptile my misery is only what i deserve compassion is thrown away isn't it on such a scoundrel as i am i was sorely puzzled how to answer him all that he had said against himself i had thought of him in my own mind and why not he had behaved infamously he was a fit object for righteous indignation and yet and yet it is sometimes so very hard however badly a man may have behaved for women to hold out against forgiving him when they know that a woman is at the bottom of it whatever i may have thought of you i said it is still in your power nugent to win back my old regard for you is it he answered scornfully i know better than that you are not talking to oscar now you are talking to a man who has had some experience of women i know how you all hold to your opinions because they are your opinions without asking yourselves whether they are right or wrong there are men who could understand me and pity me no woman can do it the best and cleverest among you don't know what love is as a man feels it it isn't the frenzy with you that it is with us it acknowledges restraints in women it bursts through everything in a man 
it robs him of his intelligence his honour his self-respect it levels him with the brutes it debases him into idiocy it lashes him into madness i tell you i am not accountable for my own actions the kindest thing you could do for me would be to shut me up in a madhouse the best thing i could do for myself would be to cut my throat oh yes this is a shocking way of talking isn't it i ought to struggle against it as you say i ought to summon my self-control <laughs> here is a clever woman here is an experienced woman and yet though she has seen me in lucilla's company hundreds of times she has never once discovered the signs of a struggle in me from the moment when i first saw that heavenly creature it has been one long fight against myself one infernal torment of shame and remorse and this clever friend of mine has observed so little and knows so little that she can only view my conduct in one light it is the conduct of a coward and a villain he got up and took a turn in the room i was naturally i think a little irritated by his way of putting it a man assuming to know more about love than a woman was there ever such a monstrous perversion of the truth as that i appeal to the women you ought to be the last person to blame me i said i have too high an opinion of you to suspect what was going on i will never make the same mistake again i promise you that he came back and stood still in front of me looking me hard in the face do you really mean to say you saw nothing to set you thinking on the day when i first met her you were there in the room didn't you see that she struck me dumb did you notice nothing suspicious at a later time when i was suffering martyrdom if i only looked at her was there nothing to be seen in me which told its own tale i noticed that you were never at your ease with her i replied but i liked you and trusted you and i failed to understand it that's all did you fail to understand everything that followed didn't i speak to her father didn't i try to hasten oscar's marriage it was true he had tried when we first talked of his telling lucilla of the discoloration of his face did i not agree with you that he ought to put himself right with her in his own interests true again impossible to deny that he had sided with my view when she all but found out for herself whose influence was used to make him own it mine what did i do when he tried to confess it and failed to make her understand him what did i do when she first committed the mistake of believing me to be the discoloured man the audacity of that last question fairly took away my breath you cruelly helped to deceive her i answered indignantly you basely encouraged your brother in his fatal policy of silence he looked at me with an angry amazement on his side which more than equalled the angry amazement on mine so much for the delicate perception of a woman he exclaimed so much for the wonderful tact 
which is the peculiar gift of the sex you can see no motive but a bad motive in sacrificing myself for oscar's sake i began to discern faintly that there might have been another than a bad motive for his conduct but well i dare say i was wrong i resented the tone he was taking with me i would have owned i had made a mistake to anybody else in the world i wouldn't own it to him there look back for one moment he resumed in quieter gentler tones see how hardly you have judged me i seized the opportunity i swear to you this is true i seized the opportunity of making myself an object of horror to her the moment i heard of the mistake that she had made i felt in myself that i was growing less and less capable of avoiding her and i caught at the chance of making her avoid me i did that and i did more i entreated oscar to let me leave dimchurch he appealed to me in the name of our love for each other to remain i couldn't resist him where do you see signs of the conduct of a scoundrel in all this would a scoundrel have betrayed himself to you a dozen times over as i did in that talk of ours in the summer-house i remember saying in so many words i wished i had never come to dimchurch what reason but one could there be for my saying that how is it that you never even asked me what i meant you forget i interposed that i had no opportunity of asking you lucilla interrupted us and diverted my attention to other things what do you mean by putting me on my defence in this way i went on more and more irritably by the tone he was taking with me what right have you to judge my conduct he looked at me with a kind of vacant surprise have i been judging your conduct he asked yes perhaps i was thinking if you had seen my infatuation in time you might have checked it in time no he exclaimed before i could answer him nothing could have checked it nothing will cure it but my death let us try to agree i beg your pardon if i have offended you i am willing to take a just view of your conduct will you take a just view of mine i tried hard to take a just view though i resented his manner of speaking to me i nevertheless secretly felt for him as i have confessed still i could not forget that he had attempted to attract to himself lucilla's first look on the day when she tried her sight that he had personated his brother to lucilla that very morning that he had suffered his brother to go away heartbroken a voluntary exile from all that he held dear no no i could feel for him but i could not take a just view of him i sat down and said nothing he returned to the question between us treating me with the needful politeness when he spoke next for all that he alarmed me by what he now said as he had not alarmed me yet i repeat what i have already told you he proceeded i am no longer accountable for what i do if i know anything of myself i believe it will be useless to trust me 
in the future. While I am capable of speaking the truth, let me tell it. Whatever happens at a later time, remember this. I have honestly made a clean break of it tonight. Stop! I cried. I don't understand your reckless way of talking. Every man is accountable for what he does. He checked me there by an impatient wave of his hand. Keep your opinion. I don't dispute it. You will see. You will see, Madame Pretolungo. The day when we had that private talk of ours in the rectory summer-house marks a memorable date in my calendar. My last honest struggle to be true to my poor Oscar ended with that date. The efforts I have made since then have been little better than mere outbreaks of despair. They have done nothing to help me against the passion that has become the one feeling and the one misery of my life. Don't talk of resistance. All resistance stopped at a certain point. Since the time I have told you of, my resistance has reached its limit. You have heard how I struggled against temptation as long as I could resist it. I have only to tell you how I have yielded to it now. The reckless, shameless composure with which he said that began to set me against him once more. The perpetual shifts and contradictions in him bewildered and irritated me. Quicksilver itself seemed to be less slippery to lay hold of than this man. Do you remember the day, he asked, when Lucilla lost her temper and received you so rudely at your visit to Browndown? I made a sign in the affirmative. You spoke a little while since of my personating Oscar to her. I personated him on the occasion I have just mentioned for the first time. You were present and heard me. Did you care to speculate on the motives which made me impose myself on her as my brother? As well as I can remember, I answered, I made the first guess that occurred to me. I thought you were indulging in a moment's mischievous amusement at Lucilla's expense. I was indulging the passion that consumed me. I longed to feel the luxury of her touching me, and being familiar with me, under the impression that I was Oscar. Worse even than that, I wanted to try how completely I could impose on her, how easily I might marry her if I could only deceive you all and take her away somewhere by herself. The devil was in possession of me. I don't know how it might have ended if Oscar had not come in, and if Lucilla had not burst out as she did. She distressed me. She frightened me. She gave me back again to my better self. I rushed, without stopping to prepare her, into the question of her restoration to sight as the only way of diverting her mind from the vile advantage that I had taken of her blindness. That night, Madame Pretolungo, I suffered pangs of self-reproach and remorse which would even have satisfied you. At the very next opportunity that offered, I made my atonement to Oscar. I supported his interests. I even put the words he was to say to Lucilla into his lips. When? 
I broke in. Where? How? When the two surgeons had left us, in Lucilla's sitting-room. In the heat of the discussion, whether she should submit to the operation at once, or whether she should marry Oscar first, and let Crosser try his experiment on her eyes at a later time. If you recall our conversation, you will remember that I did all I could to persuade Lucilla to marry my brother before Crosser tried his experiment on her sight. Quite useless! You threw all the weight of your influence into the opposite side of the scale. I failed. It made no difference. I had done what I had done in mere despair, mere impulse. It didn't last. When the next temptation tried me, I behaved like a scoundrel, as you say. I suspected nothing, I said shortly. Very well, as you think, then. Did you suspect me, at last, when we met in the village yesterday? Surely even your eyes must have seen through me on that occasion. I answered silently by an inclination of my head. I had no wish to drift into another quarrel. Sorely as he was presuming on my endurance, I tried, in Lucilla's interests, to keep on friendly terms with him. "'You concealed it wonderfully well,' he went on. "'When I tried to find out whether you had, or had not, discovered me, "'you virtuous people are not bad hands at deception "'when it suits your interests to deceive. "'I needn't tell you what my temptation was yesterday. "'The first look of her eyes, when they opened on the world, "'the first light of love and joy breaking on her heavenly face. "'What madness!' to expect me to let that look fall on another man that light show itself to other eyes no living being adoring her as i adored her would have acted otherwise than i did i could have fallen down on my knees and worshipped crosser when he innocently proposed to me to take the place in the room which i was determined to occupy you saw what i had in mind you did your best and did it admirably to defeat me you pattern people you can be as shifty with your resources when a cunning trick is to be played as the worst of us you saw how it ended fortune stood my friend at the eleventh hour fortune can shine like the sun on the just and the unjust i had the first look of her eyes I felt the first light of love and joy in her face falling on me. I have had her arms round me and her bosom on mine. I could endure it no longer. Open the door, I said. I am ashamed to be in the same room with you. I don't wonder at it, he answered. You may well be ashamed of me. I am ashamed of myself. There was nothing cynical in his tone, nothing insolent in his manner. The same man who had just gloried in that abominable way in his victory over innocence and misfortune now spoke and looked like a man who was honestly ashamed of himself. If I could only have felt convinced that he was mocking me or playing the hypocrite with me, I should have known what to do. But I say again, impossible as it seems, he was beyond all doubt genuinely penitent for what he had said the instant after he had said it 
with all my experience of humanity and all my practice in dealing with strange characters i stopped midway between nugent and the locked door thoroughly puzzled do you believe me he asked i don't understand you i answered he took the key of the door out of his pocket and put it on the table close to the chair from which i had just risen i lose my head when i talk of her or think of her he went on i would give everything i possess not to have said what i said just now no language you can use is too strong to condemn it the words burst out of me if lucilla herself had been present i couldn't have controlled them go if you like i have no right to keep you here after behaving as i have done there is the key at your service only think first before you leave me you had something to propose when you came in you might influence me you might shame me into behaving like an honourable man do as you please it rests with you which was i a good christian or a contemptible fool i went back once more to my chair and determined to give him a last chance that's kind he said you encourage me you show me that i am worth trying again i had a generous impulse in this room yesterday it might have been something better than an impulse if i had not had another temptation set straight in my way what temptation i asked oscar's letter has told you oscar himself put the temptation in my way you must have seen it i saw nothing of the sort doesn't he tell you that i offered to leave dimchurch forever i meant it i saw the misery in the poor fellow's face when crosser and i were leading lucilla out of the room with my whole heart i meant it if he had taken my hand and had said good-bye i should have gone he wouldn't take my hand he insisted on thinking it over by himself he came back resolved to make the sacrifice on his side why did you accept the sacrifice because he tempted me tempted you yes what else can you call it when he offered to leave me free to plead my own cause with lucilla what else can you call it when he showed me a future life which was a life with lucilla poor dear generous fellow he tempted me to stay when he ought to have encouraged me to go how could i resist him blame the passion that has got me body and soul don't blame me i looked at the book on the table the book that he had been reading when i entered the room these sophistical confidences of his were nothing but rousseau at second hand good if he talked false rousseau nothing was left for me but to talk genuine pratolungo i let myself go i was just in the humour for it how can a clever man like you impose on yourself in that way i said your future with lucilla you have no future with lucilla which is not shocking to think of suppose you shall never do it as long as i live suppose you married her good heavens 
what a miserable life it would be for both of you you love your brother do you think you could ever really know a moment's peace with the one reflection perpetually forcing itself on your mind i have cheated oscar out of the woman whom he loved i have wasted his life i have broken his heart you couldn't look at her you couldn't speak to her you couldn't touch her without feeling it all embittered by that horrible reproach and she what sort of wife would she make you when she knew how you had got her i don't know which of the two of you she would hate most you or herself not a man would pass her in the street who would not rouse the thought in her i wonder whether he has ever done anything as base as what my husband has done not a married woman of her acquaintance but would make her sick at heart with envy and regret whatever faults he may have your husband hasn't won you as my husband won me you happy your married life endurable come i have saved a few pounds since i have been with lucilla i will lay you every farthing i possess you two would be separated by mutual consent before you had been six months man and wife now which will you do will you start for the continent or stay here will you bring oscar back like an honourable man or let him go and disgrace yourself for ever his eyes sparkled his colour rose he sprang to his feet and unlocked the door what was he going to do to start for the continent or to turn me out of the house he called to the servant james yes sir make the house fast when madame Pressolongo and i have left it i'm not coming back again sir pack my portmanteau and send it after me to-morrow to naggles hotel he closed the door again and came back to me you refused to take my hand when you came in he said will you take it now i leave brown down when you leave it and i won't come back again till i bring oscar with me both hands i exclaimed and took him by both hands i could say nothing more i could only wonder if i was waking or sleeping fit to be put into an asylum or fit to go at large come he said i will see you as far as the rectory gate you can't go to-night i answered the last train has left hours since i can i can walk to brighton and get a bed there and leave for london to-morrow morning nothing will induce me to pass another night at browndown stop one question before i put the lamp out what is it did you do anything towards tracing oscar when you were in london to-day i went to a lawyer and made what arrangements with him i could here is my pocket-book write me down his name and address i wrote them he extinguished the lamp and led me into the passage the servant was standing there bewildered good night james i am going to bring your master back to browndown with that explanation he took up his hat and stick and gave me his arm the moment after we were out in the dark valley 
on our way to the village on the walk back to the rectory he talked with a feverish volubility and excitement avoiding the slightest reference to the subject discussed at our strange and stormy interview he returned with tenfold confidence in himself to his old boastful assertion of the great things he was going to do as a painter the mission which called him to reconcile humanity with nature the super-scale on which he proposed to interpret sympathetic scenery for the benefit of suffering mankind the prime necessity of understanding him not as a mere painter but as a grand consoler in art i had it all over again by way of satisfying my mind as to his prospects and occupations in his future life it was only when we stopped at the rectory gate that he referred to what had passed between us and even then he only touched on the subject in the briefest possible way well he said have i won back your old regard for me do you believe there is a fine side to be found in the nature of nugent de borg man is a compound animal you are a woman in ten thousand give me a kiss he kissed me foreign fashion on both cheeks now for oscar he shouted cheerfully he waved his hat and disappeared in the darkness i stood at the gate till the last pit-pat of his feet died away in the silence of the night an indescribable depression seized on my spirits i began to doubt him again the instant i was alone is there a time coming i asked myself when all that i have done to-night must be done over again i opened the rectory gate mr finch intercepted me before i could get round to our side of the house he held up before me in solemn triumph a manuscript of many pages my letter he said a letter of christian remonstrance to nugent de borg nugent de borg has left dimchurch with that reply i told the rector in as few words as possible how my visit to browndown had ended mr finch looked at his letter all those pages of eloquence written for nothing no in the nature of things that could not possibly be you have done very well madame pratolungo he remarked in his most patronizing manner very well indeed all things considered but i don't think i shall act wisely if i destroy this he carefully locked up his manuscript and turned to me again with a mysterious smile i venture to think said mr finch with mock humility my letter will be wanted don't let me discourage you about nugent de borg only let me say is he to be trusted it was said by a fool it would never have been said at all if he had not written his wonderful letter still it echoed with a painful fidelity the misgiving secretly present at that moment in my own mind and more yet it echoed the misgiving in nugent's mind the doubt of himself which his own lips had confessed to me in so many words 
I wished the rector good night and went upstairs. Lucilla was in bed and asleep when I softly opened her door. After looking for a while at her lovely, peaceful face, I was obliged to turn away. It was time I left the bedside, when the sight of her only made my spirits sink lower and lower. As I cast my last look at her before I closed the door, Mr. Finch's ominous question forced itself on me again. In spite of myself, I said to myself, Is he to be trusted? End of chapter the 38th